0: Thanks Stephen, Kathy. Uh, come back with me to AD55, you're in Jerusalem and you're watching uh, TV, AD55 Jerusalem, TV is there. And there's a picture on the screen which you've seen many times before it's a, of, a, of a baby and the baby's being cradled by its mother and one look at the baby tells you that the baby is starving. Starving to death, just emancipated and about to die. And then the the camera pans out a bit and you see another group of people, they're teenagers and they're so thin that you can count every rib and and they're so weak they can hardly wipe away the flies from their eyes and their mouth. And then the camera pans out again and to your horror you realise that you're looking at a church. A church full of Christians who are starving to death because they have nothing. And as Paul, the Apostle Paul, sees these suffering brothers and suffering Christians in his church in Jerusalem, he sets up a kind of relief fund. And he tells the Corinthian church that there's these Christians in Jerusalem and they're starving to death. And the Christians do what I hope you and I would do in Corinth. We say, "We've got to give." We'd love to give. But we're eager to give. And so, you know, you set up uh, this stall at the back of church and you've got the leaflets about these starving Christians in Jerusalem and you make your pledges and they're going to be our new missionary links and we're going to be so generous and we're going to be the church that gives and gives and gives. And Paul is so impressed by this Corinthian church that he boasts to the Macedonian church. These Corinthians, you should see them, they are so generous. Except like so many of us, words are so much easier than actions, aren't they? It's easy to say, I'm going to give. It's much harder to actually get your hand into your wallet and part with your cash. It's easy to say, I'm going to be really generous and give to this charity. It's another thing to go online and actually put the direct debit in there. It's easy to say, I'd love to help out with PA at church. It's another thing to give up your time for five or six hours on the Sunday and actually do it. It's easy to say, as a lawyer, I've got all these great gifts. I could help people with some legal aid stuff. It's nothing to actually put it into action and actually do it. Words are easy, actions are costly. And Paul says to the Corinthians, "It's not about words, guys. Finish the work, sort it out." He says in verse eleven, "Finish the work, so your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it." I love verse eight when he says, "I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love." Generosity is that kind of thing that that can't be commanded. I, can't, I can stand here and preach on it but I can't command you to be generous it's like when you see two little kids and they're fighting and one kid thumps the other kid and the dad says to the kid who thumped them, say sorry I command you to say sorry and so the kid goes, oh sorry and the dad goes, no, I want you to mean it he says you can't test the sincerity of that, can you? same with giving same with generosity I can't command you but I can encourage you and I can motivate you and the word of God will do that tonight you see perhaps like me you think that the God things in life are church, Bible, prayer eternal life, forgiveness, redemption but generosity and giving and time and skills and energy that's sort of the private personal matters and in this chapter God says that there's a link between your faith in Christ and the way that you use your money. There's a link between your faith in Christ and the way that you serve in church. Uh, There's a link between your faith in Christ and the way that you give of your time and your skills and your energies. There's a link between your faith in Christ and your generosity. Tonight, two questions, a why and a how. The why is more important than the how. Uh, Firstly, why should Christians be generous? Think about that question. Why should, if you're sitting here tonight and you're trusting Jesus, why should you be generous? Is it out of guilt? Is it just because it's expected of you? Is it because it makes you feel good? Let me tell you, tell you why Christians sh- must be generous and should be generous. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Christian generosity is a natural response to understanding the grace that God has shown you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse one, "Brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The grace that God has given them. Grace is a Bible word. It means undeserved love. It means undeserved favor." And the Macedonians knew they deserved nothing from God, and yet God had given them everything in Jesus. They were suffering, they were poor. The Macedonian church were the sort of people who could legitimately say, look, I'd love to help, but you know, we're really doing it quite tough at the moment. We're up against it. Uh, The stocks have crashed and I've got nothing left. But they didn't. Why? Verse 2, out of the most severe trial the most severe circumstances, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Their overflowing joy, joy of knowing Jesus, joy of forgiveness, joy of reconciliation, joy of being a child of God, joy of the inheritance. That's the equation. Trial plus joy plus poverty equals Generosity. Because they understood grace. They understood that God had given himself on the cross and so they were willing to give back to God. That's what he says down in verse 5. They didn't do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Their priority was giving their whole lives back to Jesus. It's kind of saying, Jesus has brought me back from life uh, under judgment. He's brought me back from death to life. And everything I now own belongs to you, Jesus. You died for me, and so I want all that I have, uh, my time, my energy, my talents, my gifts, my money, they belong to you now. So how can I use them to serve you? When we do that, then our, our, our money and our energy and our gifts, they're not about us at all. They're all about Jesus. I worked in a few townships in South Africa about 12 years ago now. And to be, to be rich in South Africa in this township meant that you had two rooms in your house, not just one. And yet I was just blown away by the number of times that people just come around with a meal for me. I had everything and they had nothing. But they'd understood grace, they'd loved Jesus and they gave got a letter from, or an email from someone who's on a short term mission in India. Uh, she writes this, The hospitality we have been shown is quite amazing. I felt rebuked. They have so little yet they give so much. Because they love Jesus so much. See, the most important thing is that they gave themselves to Jesus first. Listen very carefully. God doesn't want your money if he hasn't got your heart. God doesn't want your time and your skills if he hasn't got your heart. God doesn't want your energy poured into the church if he hasn't got your heart. Without gratitude for what Jesus has done for us our generosity just becomes proud selfish actions and it's called religion. C.T. Stubb was a a very well-off man. He was educated at Eton in the UK then at Cambridge University. He was England's top All-round cricketer, so he was pretty good, I reckon. Uh, And he wrote this: "I've left it all behind to become a missionary in China. I'd known about Jesus Christ dying for me, but I'd never understood that if He died for me, then I didn't then I didn't belong to myself anymore. Redemption means that He's brought me back, and I belong to Him. And so either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine." Or else I had to give everything back to him. There's a man who's grasped grace. Everything he now has belongs to Jesus. Jesus is not just the the reason for our generosity. He's actually the supreme example. He's a supreme example of generosity. Down in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich for all eternity, Jesus Christ was rich in that he, he enjoyed the, the unbroken fellowship with his Father. He enjoyed the majesty of heaven. He enjoyed that perfect relationship with his God. And yet, in two gigantic steps, he became poor. The first step was to step into the world, into a lonely stable, to be born with all obscurity and vulnerability and rejection and mocking and the second step when he became poor was to walk to the cross and to arms flung open say here I am I'm willing to die on behalf of my people and as he became poor literally poor, cut off from his father, separated from the eternal love of his father and in the wrath of his father he did that, why? so that we might become rich we might be forgiven spiritually and right with God that is the best picture of real generosity, isn't it? and friends, when you grasp that, if you really understand deep down the grace of Jesus then of course we're going to be generous it should just naturally flow from you if you're not giving giving money, giving time, giving yourself, giving your skills I've got a question whether you've really grasped the grace of Jesus. If you've not really grasped the the wonder of what he's given you, then of course you'll just hang on to everything that you've got. But grasp grace and your generosity just wells up inside you and you give. And you may be here tonight and you can't say, I know Jesus Christ died for me, I believe that he died and took my sins on that cross. In that case, the issue is not will you be generous the question for you tonight is will you give Jesus your life will you put yourself under the lordship of Jesus and let him flood you with his grace it's the most important question but as I look at it, I know many of you have done that many of you have given your life to Christ the most important question for you is not how generous can I be That's not the most important question. The most important question is, have I given myself first to the Lord? Do I regard all that I have as belonging to Jesus? My health, my marriage, my work, my money, my talents, my time, my energy. If not, forget your budgets, forget your giving leaflets, forget your serving rosters. And rekindle that first love for Jesus. Regain that overflowing joy that comes when you've grasped grace. A woman came up to me at my church in Hampstead about 10 years ago now, must be 10 years ago. An older lady in her 60s, she had very little, she lived in a sort of housing commission type flat. She handed me an envelope and said, please use this for gospel work, to talk about Jesus. And I looked at this cheque, and I looked at her, and I knew what she had, and I knew what she earned on her pension. And I said, "This is extraordinarily generous." And you could almost sort of see the, the tears welling up in her eyes. She said, "Not really. God's given me so much. I just want to give back." But there's a woman who's grasped grace. That's the most important thing. Why do we give? Why are we generous? Because of Jesus. Maybe you need to go home tonight. Forget money, forget the lobsters, just spend time dwelling on, on the grace of God and the riches that He has given up for you so that you can be rich. And maybe sit down and just write a list of thank yous for all the things that He's given you. And next to those things put that belongs to Jesus, that belongs to Jesus, that belongs to Jesus, that belongs to Jesus. That belongs to Jesus. And then perhaps we'll be generous. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why? Because of Jesus. How? How should we be generous? I love the fact that Paul uses a bit of gentle rivalry. What Paul does in this chapter is he, t- he tells them about the Macedonian church. And if he was in, in, in Sydney today, he might say something like this. You yeah, that church? They've got nothing. They've got no sound system at all. Oh, they've got a, a little lady who just plays a little keyboard. And they've got no other musos. Uh, they've just about got enough just to keep their building going. They've got no full-time pastor. They can't afford that that little church is just struggling to survive but but you've got everything haven't you you've got your big houses by the harbour and you've got your cars and you've got your holiday homes and you've got your your big PA system and you've got all this band behind you and you've got building projects and you've got money coming out of your ears and do you know what that little church there, they're far more generous than you are, they have nothing you have everything and they are showing you up. But that's what he does with the Macedonian Church and the Corinthian Church. The Macedonian church were poor. Uh, they were really poor. And they were doing it tough in verse two, out of them the most severe trials. We don't know what those trials were uh, but they knew what it was like to survive on the pension or on the dole or but the shock there is in verse two that they wanted to give generously. I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. They were single-minded in their generosity. Yeah, they were suffering, yes they were poor, but that wasn't going to stop them from giving. Uh, they were the kind of Christians, the kind of church that could you know, walk past uh, Barcinos and not spend three bucks on a takeaway latte. They were the kind of church that could actually go to Westfield and not snap up their bargain because they don't need it and they could give it away. They were the kind of church who, yes, they were really time poor, but do you know what? I can sacrifice an hour of my sleep to go and serve another Christian in need. They were single minded, single focus on being generous. I think of the widow that Jesus talks about who gave her last payment that is rich single minded generosity the great preacher Spurgeon he tells a story of how he's invited to preach to a church they were in need and they were doing a building project and the pastor invited him he said you can come and preach uh, you can either come and I'll gather the Christians at my country house or I'll gather the church at my town house or I'll gather the church at my seaside house you can, you can come and preach to them and Spurgeon wrote back to the pastor and said sell one of your own places first. Pay off the debt yourself and then I'll come and preach. And I think here in Kirby we have so much. We have so much, don't we? Not just money. But we have so many skills. I look at this church and I think, wow God has really blessed us. And our attitude te- seems to be, oh I'm busy and I'm tired and I'll give God what's left at the end of the week. And the single-minded focus of the Macedonians seems to be, I want to give. How can I give? If you're like me, uh, we need to think about that. You know, Our natural tendency is just to hoard and to be selfish. And when it comes to giving and being generous, single-minded, how can I give to God? And the second thing the Macedonian church did was that they were spontaneous Verse 4 blows me away. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded us with the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving. <laughs> it's not ironic. It's not the, the poor Macedonian church you are begging for help. It's not Paul begging the Macedonian church to be generous. It's the poor Macedonians who have nothing and they are begging for the privilege of being generous to others. It's their initiative. They can't wait to give back. They don't wait to be persuaded. They don't need a sermon on generosity. They said, this is a service to the saints. How can I give? And they didn't wait for a phone call from the minister to say, it's a lady, she's just had a baby. Can you please cook a meal? They were on to it straight away. Spontaneously, I've got to give. And they didn't wait for the phone call from the minister to say, we are desperate for someone to be on sound. They're like, No, how can we give? How can we serve? They didn't wait for the pleading letter from the Paris council saying, we need to employ more staff, we've got a building project. They said, we want to give. And well, I'm not commanding you, verse 8. No arm twisting, no pleading, no begging letters. just Once you've understood grace, then you will give spontaneously. Even when the stock market's crashed, we're still generous. You know, you receive the, the check through the post and the first thing is, how can I give some of this back to God? If we love Christ, if we love each other, we should want to give spontaneously. And I do think that is a real slap in the face for our church in the Lower North Shore. It is embarrassing. It is really embarrassing when you compare the generosity of Lower North Shore churches. financial generosity, Time generosity, gift generosity. When you compare that with with churches just 50 kilometres away, doing it tough somewhere else, and there's people giving generously, time, gifts and money. Perhaps we think we're doing well as a church. Perhaps we think that this church is growing and hey, we're stuffing our head with knowledge and hey, we're doing all these things and all these projects and our connect groups are full and we think we're doing really, really well. And Paul tells the Corinthians and to Kyrgyz and says verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and your love for us, I see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He says, work at your giving, work at your generosity. Is that the neglected area of life in this church? We're to give single-mindedly were to give spontaneously, without being asked. Now, I'd love to, I'd love to be in a situation where I watch people over, over supper, and you hear about somebody who's about to go to hospital that week. And you say, OK, how can I help? What can I do? You hear of somebody who's about to have a baby, and you say, can I cook you a meal? You hear about somebody who is, you know, in financial hardship, and you say, I'd love to help you spontaneously, without being asked. It's single-minded, it's spontaneous, and it's compassionate. We show compassion to other Christians. You know, we walk out. Well, I walk out into Milton's Point every week, and I'm bombarded with what uh, Greenpeace and I'm bombarded with Anglicare, or the Samaritans, or cancer research, and you think, I can give to so many different things. And Paul turns to the Corinthians and says, make sure you're giving compassionately to those who are really in need. Verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, that your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it's written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I think Paul's a bit of a, a, bit of a socialist in one respect, isn't he? He's kind of saying, you're not isolated Christians, you have responsibility towards each other if you see Christians who are struggling for basic needs like health, food and clothes and shelter and if you've got much then you have a responsibility to give to those people in need. Not just in your local gathering but throughout the world. You know, you, you, you read about Christians in another part of the world and they have no food and they have no shelter. Don't just read about it. Give. Compassionately. You hear about churches where there's no Bibles. Don't just wait for the church to do an appeal. You put your hand in your pocket and go to Kurong and buy some Bibles and post them to that church. And you hear about churches without any Bible teachers. And don't just sit there and say, oh, I'll pray for you. It's a good thing to do to pray for them, but actually, how about going? Most of us here are better qualified than most Bible teachers throughout the world. It's not just that the Corinthians, the wealthy Corinthians relieved the poor Corinthians. They thought beyond their patch. They thought the world. They were willing to help Christians in another part of the world that they'd never met, and they would probably never meet in their lifetime. But that didn't matter. Because they have both been won by the blood of Jesus. I sometimes think that Christianity, or being a Christian, is a bit like being a rock climber. You know, it's like a rock climber where there's three or four of you on a rope and you're all kind of tied together. And when one of you falls, you, you feel it. But you're there to help each other back up. That's the kind of thing of being compassionate towards each other. And I think this is right, that it's easy for us, or easier for me, I think, to show compassion to other Christians in other parts of the world you know, because I'm persuaded and taken in and convicted by the brochures and I want to give, and I do give it's easy to show compassion to people that you don't know and don't see every week and I just wonder whether it's harder for us to show compassion to people who we sit in church with every week because our time is so precious, isn't it? And we are so busy. And we are so important. Christian generosity. Time, money, gifts, skills. Please use it compassionately. Gospel work should take priority. I mean, non Christians won't give to gospel work. Yes, we must give to family relief and we must give to medical relief but we must also give to Bible translation and evangelism and church planting. Lastly, Christian generosity is responsible. It's about being responsible with what God God has given you. Look with me at verse 11. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means according to your means if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what he does not have see the first question we say is how much should I give that's between you and God we're not called to give what you don't have you're not called to to give what you don't have if you don't have the the skills you're not called to give those things but when you do have those skills you are called to give if you don't have a huge bank balance you're not called to give that huge bank balance but if you do you are called to give I want to encourage you to stop playing the comparison game some of us will give huge amounts of money with lots of noughts on our cheques because we have lots others will give a small amount of money but proportionally it's a lot to us others will give a huge amount of their time because they have lots of time, and if you're single like me, then we do have lots of time. Guys and girls, we do have lots of time when we're single, and we we can give lots of time to serving the Lord, gifts, skills, talents to serving the kingdom. But you know, if you're married and you've got kids, then actually you don't have as much time to give to serving as you did when you were single. It's about looking what you've got and saying, how can I use what I've got to serve the Lord. Please stop comparing yourself to other people. And look at what God has given you and think, how can I be responsible for what he's given me and generous in that? George Muller was a man who I think was a very generous man. He worked out what his basic necessities were and then he gave. Not just money, but gave time as well. And in his lifetime, he founded five Christian orphanages, seven Christian day schools, 12 Sunday schools, he distributed 2 million Bibles, 3 million tracts, he gave 26,000 pounds to overseas mission and 1.5 million pounds away to Christian work. And that was in a day when you could buy a house in the UK for you know, a few hundred pounds. Extraordinary generous. And there's a man I think who grasped Grace. It's not a popular subject, generosity, is it? I want you to go away tonight and just think about what God's given you. Look at your calendars. Think about how you spend your time. Uh, look at your bank statements. Yes, even with this financial crisis, and think about how you're spending your money. And list all the skills and gifts that God has given you. And then pray. Lord change my heart and make me generous Lord flood me with your grace and help me to serve you generously and then look around at each other and think how can I pour that generosity on other people and then perhaps like Christ we will say "You know, I've understood grace and I'm giving willingly and I want to be generous because God has been so generous to me let me pray I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich Lord you've given us so much we thank you for your love and your grace shown in Christ we thank you for everything that you have blessed us with in this life food and clothes and shelters and for many of us good health and jobs and money and yes time and we pray that we would be generous in the way that we use all those things to give back to you and to help those who are really in need and we ask that for Jesus sake